Thank you so much. Our third discussant is Daria Taglioni. She is the lead economist at the International Finance Corporation, part of the World Bank Group. Daria, welcome. Look forward to your comments. Thank you very much. Um, yes. So I will focus on uh, three questions. Uh, that have already come up in the presentation and even in the discussion. And so the first question is whether the global value chain model is a game changer. And so what is special about uh, the global value chain is that it's a model that we call as import to export. And um, the difference from trade as we knew it before, it's really that uh, companies from different countries um, collaborate not to exchange um, goods but to make things together and that has two implications one on the importing side um, where uh, the difference from before is that uh, global value chains allow to import cap capital technology skills and know-how um, that before was not accessible to developing countries. So this is a big innovation. And the reason is that there is an interest in the buyer, in the lead firm, which tends to be the buyer of the production from developing countries, uh, to transfer uh, their knowledge and uh, to actually train uh, the uh, supplier uh, to, um, to do uh, the, the products uh, at a level, at a quality that is uh, um, a global standard. And, and there is also competitive pressure uh, that comes from selling to the global markets, and that generates additional learning. Uh, on the exporting side, uh, global value chains allow to solve a paradox. Um, in other forms of trade, it wasn't possible to, um, or, or it wasn't possible to specialize and to reach a scale. And now, what we have is that global value chains, precisely for the Baldwin argument, allow countries that have limited resources to specialize, but then they can reach scale, and so in highly competitive uh, markets to reach a bottom, uh, the bottom line, thanks to the, the scale uh, that is allowed by serving the global markets. Uh, where does this, um, so uh, it is often said that uh, global value chains allow um, economies to grow fast, and we will see some numbers uh, in a moment, but um, there are, the reason why this is happening is that they actually um, solicit a number of channels. They allow, they allow minimum scale achievements, for example, to build a port in a country where before there wouldn't have been enough traffic. But because of this new relation, there is now a minimum scale that allows to build infrastructure that then has spillover on the rest of the economy. They allow uh, some sort of market restructuring. Um, they allow technology spillovers. They create backward and forward linkages when they actually are well um, administered and when the um, economic policy is able to leverage from them, like China did uh, masterfully. And finally, they also have a positive effect on the labor markets uh, through this uh, demand effects, training effects, and uh, labor turnover that they generate. Um, unfortunately, I'm going very fast because I have only five minutes to, to present, but there would be, uh, we could spend one hour on each of these channels, and, uh, and it's definitely, um, uh, there is a lot of uh, interesting uh, things to say. Um, but so what are, uh, when we think about the fact that uh, 
developing countries grow fast, what do we really mean? So the, the concept here that it's important to retain is that countries will earn a smaller share of a larger pie. Often in development economics, um, there is, uh, there is uh, in, in the modern development economics, there is this way to look at, uh, uh, at the trade generated through global value chains in, in value-added terms, but in uh, shares, in proportions. And so we have that uh, some of the pushbacks against global value chains is that actually the share of value-added that is earned by developing countries is small. And it is true. In global value chains, the share of uh, domestic value-added tends to decrease for everybody. And so here we have the example of uh, Vietnam, uh, where in 95% uh, it uh, produced domestically 44.7% of what it exported, and in 2011 uh, this figure dropped to 30.8%. Uh, but if we go and look at the volumes, actually we see where this growth effect, what it is this growth effect. And, um, and, and uh, so in 95, this 44.7% was earning them only 0.2 billions. And in 2011, the 30% of value added was earning them 3.8 billions. Finally, the last question is that why is it that uh, some regions of the world have been able to access more global value chains and other regions less? So global value chains are really moved by FDI, by large corporations, by global buyers. And in fact, in, uh, in where it says role of FDI, we see that uh, there has been a five-fold increase in FDI since the 1990s. And as a, as a result, the big global markets have been really driving uh, this effort. And uh, so if we look at uh, China, the European Union, and the United States, we see that these three countries together alone, they cover more than 50% of both imports and exports. And uh, just to give you an example of uh, the importance of, for example, China, just compare it to India, which is of similar, um, similar uh, dimensions in terms of population and, and land, and yet uh, India exports only one-fifth uh, um, one of uh, what China exports. Um, so what, what, what does it explain, this polarization and, uh, and concentration on a few regions? Well, first of all, there are heterogeneous uh, trade costs. Although tariffs have been going down everywhere, uh, we still have that uh, uh, costs are heterogeneous uh, because there are non-tariff barriers. And then the, the participation into global value chains is different. So the countries that really managed to, to participate, they all shifted into manufacturing. And we have many examples in East Asia, in Central and Eastern Europe, in Mexico and in Turkey. Countries that remained more resource-based, uh, like most countries in Africa, in uh, South Asia, and in the Mercosur, but also some countries in Europe, like Ukraine, they remained at the margins of global value chains. Um, in general, however, there are also some global forces um, that play against uh, Latin America and Africa. Uh, most of uh, the global value chain trade is intra-industry and intra-regional. So not having a regional engine uh, in Africa or in uh, uh, in Latin America, it means that there is less uh, 
technology capital to um, to access to. Um, the other uh, feature of global value chains is that they tend to be longer with a high import content. And so a lot of countries that still have uh, uh, this idea that um, one uh, needs to protect uh, the domestic production from uh, competing imports end up uh, uh, losing out of, uh, of some of these regulations. Um, so I think uh, with the, I think I wanted to finish with a positive note, which is that uh, um, as as far as it concerns Africa, probably the things might be changing with the African Free Trade Agreement that is being negotiated, because it contains a lot of the elements um, that. Uh, that uh, underline the thinking around global value chains. And it, it really primes uh, the idea of integrating markets for, uh, for, for making uh, uh, possible this type of production, trade, and growth. Thank you.